0: Welcome to Sustainability Bridges, a EurosIF podcast aimed at building bridges between policymakers, investors, academics, and civil society around the theme of sustainable investing. Eurosif is the leading pan-European association promoting sustainable finance and sustainable investing at the European level. In this podcast, the Executive Director of Eurasif will invite distinguished guests for a 30-minute conversation on current events shaping the sustainable investing community.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Victor van Horn, and I'm the Executive Director of Eurosif. For this episode, I'm delighted and honored to be joined by Florian Haib, who's a researcher in the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth at the University of Zurich. Together, we will be focusing today on the notion of investor impact and how investors can integrate these notions of impact in their decision-making. So maybe Florian, f- first of all, thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Maybe let's get straight in. In 2020, you wrote a number of papers and guides around the notion of investor impact. And in a blog post you wrote, you had this provocative statement, the UN estimated in 2020 that we had 25 trillion investment gap per year until 2030 to meet the sustainable development goals. And you put that in comparison to the fact that we're seeing nearly on average $4 trillion or euros moving into sustainable ESG, SRI investment strategies. Many could believe that we have no problem, that the funding gap is is not there. We've solved all the problems. But yet we see recently, you know, the, the latest IPCC report is very clear that 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 we're not, close even, unfortunately, to to, to meeting the the targets set in 2015 in Paris. So maybe the first question is, how can we explain that gap? What is, in your view, the main discrepancy between those two?
2: Maybe first, thanks, Victor, for inviting me and and looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, I mean, these numbers are really interesting, I think. So first of all, they, they share a very positive notion on sustainable investing that volumes are really growing. So where five, 10 years ago, it has been a more niche market, we see an incredible demand from investors across all types of investors to invest sustainably. And and this reflects in these this huge volumes. We have something like 35 trillion US dollars in sustainable investment. But then we have these looming challenges, these, these grand challenges. And let's stay with... with climate change and, and the, the recent IPCC report. So we're really not on track to solve this challenge, despite all this funding we have for sustainable investments. And I think here it's really important to look at what do we actually need in terms of investments. And that's why I like this bit old right now, figure of 2.5 trillion, the SDG funding gap. And if you drill a bit deeper into to this report by the UN on, on what's actually needed, you will see A lot of the needed finance, needed investments are direct foreign investments into risky infrastructure projects. If you look at climate change, we know what needs to be done. The question is just how we get it done. We need a lot of renewable energy investments and a lot of these investments need to be done in places where financial markets are less mature, where political risks are higher. So we need wind power and solar power in Southeast Asia and in, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. In in many places, we need to phase out coal in most of the emerging economics where, where they still play an important role. I mean, if these would be profitable investments, they I mean, it would be no problem if they just would correspond to the risk return profiles we expect. There is a huge need for investments that really make a change on how large parts of our rural economies are developing and the challenge is to match this demand for these investments that really help us to fight climate change with this incredible demand for sustainable investing we see in the recent years there i think it's really helpful to match these numbers so in terms of volumes we're there but in terms of the type of investments we are not there yet and i think there it, it really helps to to start about talking about investor impact so what's the impact of all these assets we have in sustainable investment of all these volumes we have in sustainable investing what type of how can they change the world how do they change the world and does this really match with what investors expect
1: So if I if I, if I summarize it briefly, it's it sounds like we're facing a, a a funding or investment gap in largely infrastructure investments, which tend to be probably less liquid or or in private markets. Whereas I think it's fair to say the four trillion we've seen is is moving rapidly into liquid markets of public listed equities or bonds. Is that also your view? Are there additional bottleneck factors in your view that, that play a major role here?
2: I think that's that's certainly one of the key points. I mean, I mentioned this infrastructure, risky asset, where we also need other things. We need innovation. I think there's a lot of potential for startups, for venture capital, for green venture capital. but. As you rightly mentioned, if you look at the current volumes of sustainable investing, it's mainly investments into large established companies in mature financial markets. There is certainly mismatch. But also, on the other hand, that's I mean how most portfolios look like. So if, if you look at the average investor, average pension fund, a lot of assets need to stay in these asset classes. Just in order to, I mean, we have fiduciary duty just on the financial part we have a certain limits to, to risk investments like startups or, or then even foreign infrastructure investments. So it's also a huge question how to leverage this huge chunk of investments into liquid products, into large companies um, for change. There's also a lot of potential in, in taking the liquid part of sustainable investing, looking at it and, and asking the question, is this liquid part really as impactful as it could be? if we take, for example, the objective of solving climate change.
1: Okay, no, thanks for that. You, in your, you know, you, you've already briefly touched on the question on the notion of, of investor impact. And I, I know, you've, uh, you know you have you and your colleagues published a number of guides looking at that, at the notion of investor impact. But I think it, it may be helpful here for our audience this morning, if you can briefly I- explain what you mean by that, and, and particularly in contrast to what I think you refer to as company impact.
2: Sure. I think it, there's, there's usually the, there's three concepts that I like to mention in order to have a good discussion on how to make sustainable investing impactful. First of all, what is impact? Impact is we define impact, and I think pretty much everybody else defines impact as the change that caused by a certain activity. So you do something, something happens, and your impact is always what you cause. So what you need to think about what would have happened anyhow, then you check what has happened, and your impact is the delta. So you always need a counterfactual, some people call it additionality. What did you change beyond what would have happened anyhow? And in many areas of our life, that's pretty straightforward. If I replace my fossil fuel driven car by electric car, I burn less petrol, I have less CO2 emissions, so it's pretty clear. In financial markets, it's less clear because everything you do is somehow mediated by relatively efficient financial markets. It's not directly, you don't steer companies, you, you just invest in companies. So you always need to ask yourself, how is my action connected? How does it change? What would have happened anyhow? And here it really helps to distinguish by, between company impact and investor impact. So company impact we define as all the effects a given company has on the real world, on a, a given parameter of interest, let's stay with climate change and take CO2 emissions, but you could take pretty much every other indicator like gender equality or biodiversity or whatever you, you, you want to change or want to make a contribution. But that's company impact. What companies do or cause with their operations, with their products and services, the contribution they make to a better world. Or if you turn it negatively, the, the damages they do to, to certain public goods also part of of company impact. But then I think a very important notion is that the impact of the companies you own as an investor is not your investor impact. And investor impact we define as the change of company impact that you as an investor cause. So we're back at this initial definition that you always need to cause something beyond what would happen anyhow. So you need to think about how can you as an investor influence what companies are doing Can you help companies to do more good or to have less negative impacts? And here it comes to the third concept we often work with. It really helps to differentiate between two fundamentally different types of investor impact, the ways how investors can influence um, companies. First of all, growing green companies i say green take pretty much every sustainability indicator but let's stay with green and brown for for the shake of uh, simplicity so growing green companies meaning you take capital allocated to companies that are making a positive contribution to for example climate change and help them to grow but then you need to think about in under which conditions does my capital allocation really trigger growth we have some indications from, from evidence from research showing that this is. Rather unlikely for large established companies that already have access to super-efficient
1: markets. That's probably something you'd, you'd, you'd expect more in the realm of venture capital or innovation funds or potential private equity.
2: Yeah, or infrastructure funding, or I mean, if you move into emerging markets, to to immature markets, if you want to trigger growth, you always need to go to places where there is inefficiencies, where there is frictions. In transparencies immaturities or any kind of hurdles that that keep financial markets from working efficiently because if they would work perfect perfectly efficient i mean all good projects that are profitable would get the funding they need which is yeah basically what to some extent we can expect for large established um, companies but then there is the second mechanism which is is improving brown companies so triggering change and that can also be done at at the liquid parts at of portfolios at large established companies and then we're more talking about shareholder engagement voting potentially conduct-based screening providing incentives for companies to improve so all the ways investors can take even large companies and nudge them to become become greener so to say not affecting the growth trajectories but rather the green quality so how strongly they, they provide positive benefits or negative benefits to to the planet.
1: Okay, maybe you know maybe dwelling on, on on what you said about you know greening brown companies that it seems many industry professionals would agree that this is mostly done via you know shareholder action and engagement to to nudge companies to change. We're going to get there later on, about more specifically about the, the report uh, Eurosef did last year, focusing on this notion as well. But I think I do want to pick out something there, uh, which was uh, the question: you know, is there a point where shareholder engagement has its limits, and where actually, in you know, for certain industries to change, you need to change the whole uh, the whole policymaking framework or incentives framework around particular industries or particular innovations. Would you say that there's also potentially a role for investors to get more active on on, on public policy engagement with with policymakers? I think that's something the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance recently alluded to in one of its publications.
2: Certainly, yeah. And if if you look at the potential of, for example, shareholder engagement, I think there's a lot of potential to improve greening the economy. But we need to be realistic. If you look at the evidence, we only see evidence for incremental Im- improvements. Companies have a certain freedom to, to maneuver in, in the, the free economy and kind of, so every CEO has a, a certain range of possible strategies, which I call it the space of uncertainty, where it's unclear which is the most profitable strategy, which, which mostly serves their shareholders. Every CEO has freedom within that freedom on this uncertainty. Companies can choose more sustainable and less sustainable pathways. Investors can nudge them towards the more sustainable pathways by leaving clear signals that they prefer the more sustainable options a CEO may have in in terms of strategy and and operations. and So So here, I think there's a lot of, low hanging fruits, there's a lot of potentials for companies to improve their processes without having huge costs or fundamental changes in their business models. But if you really fundamentally want to transform the economy, it, it's about how this space of potential profitable strategies look like. And here regulation has a huge influence. Here we're talking about, especially our externalities priced fairly, we need to change. If you fundamentally want to transform the way the economy is going. Sharehold engagement clearly won't be enough. We we need to change the game, the rules of the game. And and here, I think shareholders and investors could play a way more prominent role. I think, that it's, as you mentioned, it's really encouraging that we see initiatives going into this, this direction. But I think if you look at most investors out there are large, often passively, with large investors with diversified passive portfolios or even active, but they do not have per se an incentive to to push certain industries with, with particular interest as, for example, the coal industry I mean, these are, or other industries with, with strong lobbies to, to promote that. They have an incentive to generate returns on the long run for the entire economy, and we know... <laughs> since a long time that we only can solve this strategy of the commons problems, these common pool problems like climate change with clear rules of the game. So I think many investors would benefit a lot if they would push way more, for example, to incorporate um, externalities, to have fair carbon pricing, to have to change rules of of, of the economy in a way that really enables uh, the economy to, to go on a green um trajectory
1: now it's interesting uh, it's interesting what you say because that that's that that's at least uh, one of the uh, the paradoxes which i i i find in, in in discussions we're having is that on the one hand Uh, I think in many, uh, many countries and and in European or beyond, the the, the public discourse in in politics is that the transition is expensive, that it's going to cost us a lot of money, yet when you talk in investment circles, uh, there's a lot of investors that would love to invest more sustainably, but they, they, they see a lack of projects or a lack of investable uh, opportunities. So it's interesting to see that that mismatch, that sound there is not, uh, is not there's a lack of money, but actually we need the right incentives to, to put that money to, to, to work obviously you know the we, we know that that i think since you know 2017 2018 the eu uh, took took this, this major leap forward with its uh, sustainable finance action plan which clearly the, the stated objective was uh, you know one reduce green, greenwashing but two also kind of reorient capital to the to the, to the right investments uh, as you just said we we will have to address this notion of investor impact in in, in, in achieving that or at least get 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 the right Paradigm of thinking in the, in the in the institutions. I think where we see sustainable finance, a lot has been done. It has triggered a lot of discussions, a lot of, of, of new awareness of more sophisticated approach to investing. But it it seems that we haven't yet got the dial exactly right around this investor impact. So, do you agree with that assertion? Do you see things that be done differently, or where kind of you know regulation could could push us to the, this extra nudge in that direction?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to see that there is so much political momentum on this topic. So I mean, the, 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 the whole entire EU regulation on sustainable finance, it has been a huge effort and a unique effort to, to push that field forward. But I think the great, great challenge is that that's what we discussed before. I mean, it's, it's immensely complex how investments can turn into real world impact. And I I, I agree with with the statement you made before, I think the notion of investor impact is not, in my view, sufficiently reflected in the policy frameworks we have. So let's take the SFDR as it is. The SFDR doesn't have the the notion of causal impact uh, written down in, in regulation. I think that the basic core problem is how how SFDR defines sustainable investing. So SFDR defines sustainable investments as investments in economic activities that contribute to solving our challenges we have. So there is a contribute, but only on the level of of economic activities. So that's what, what I would call company impact. So so, the SFDR defines sustainable investments purely on company impact. It doesn't have a contribute on the level of that an investment actually has to contribute to this outcome. It only has to invest into companies um, that contribute and as, as 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 I mentioned before, in some cases that that's that's perfect i mean it, it, there's, if you can ass, in, assume that investing in activity will boost it automatically that's fine and, and as I mentioned before, we have. Good evidence that this can work for SMEs, that this can work for startups or in, in, in financial markets are less mature. The challenge we have is that, that, that SFDR mainly covers large <laughs> products that, that, that invest mainly in, in large established companies in major financial markets, we where, where cannot take this investor impact for granted that by just investing into green activities that you will actually boost these activities. And, if I, I mean, I think that's an aspect regulators still have to work on, and that this, where 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 the SFDR and, and and the impact of the entire regulation could gain a lot if if this this investor impact um, would would be kind of have more prominent in the regulation, and it, it could be easy. I mean, just together with with my colleague Harald Valcati we made the argument by just changing. The sentence sustainable investing are investments in economic activities that contribute to societal activity. Change it to sustainable investments are investments enabling economic activities, or cut the economic activities completely. Say sustainable investing investments are investments that contribute to solving um, uh, global challenges or societal challenges. So I think there lays there a lot of potential to, to improve the, the impact of the entire framework with some small measures.
1: know that's, uh, that, that's very interesting and I think uh, I, I know for your, your, your work, you're in contact with, with different types of investors from the more you know, liquid markets to maybe the more the private market. It's indeed a comment that is sometimes raised: is that a regulation such as the 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 SFDR is a framework at the end of the day very suited to publicly listed large equities, but maybe not a framework entirely suited to other asset classes or types of markets. Is that is that something you recognise as a? a...
2: Yes, I mean I would would agree that the way regulation is written, it's more for. I would say. Products invest in, in large green companies, but for me the question then is how how do these the products that are then labelled as Article eight, Six, Eight, and Nine how do they match to, to investors' expectations on what they will actually get? And I think that's for me the other very important part in this in this entire regulatory framework is 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 uh, investors' objectives and expectations. So I think the other puzzle piece in the puzzle in the framework is the MIFID and especially the, the new the amendment of MIFID that that's due to come in force this summer. And I think, so the idea, I think it was, was always that the MIFID. Myth-
1: Just for, for our audiences, the the amendments that allow clients to express their sustainability preferences in, in some products.
2: Yeah. And I think that the topic but also there, I think I mean, it's hugely laudable that. Sustainability preferences are becoming a mandatory part of what advisors talk about with investors. But, but also there, I think it's very important to to ensure that that kind of we match investors' expectations, what what or objectives, why they want to invest sustainably, with the products they associate and. I think it's fair enough to say that we have now enough research to understand, to some extent, what investors expect from sustainable investments. I think it's, it's three different things: it's performance, value alignment, and impact. So, invest, some investors want to improve performance by considering ESG risks. Some want to reflect their values, for example, not wanting to invest in weapons, tobacco, or increasingly also fossil fuel, just not wanting to be associated with something that doesn't match with personal values. But what we see from, in, in, from from a lot of research we do, but others do, for example, the University of Maastricht, or two degrees in investing initiative, that impact seems to be the dominant or become the dominant motivation why investors, investors, damage. so they want to make a contribution. And my challenge now with, with the f- framework is that this contribution, that's clearly investor impact. It, it's not as such recognized or explicitly recognized in the SFDR, and it's also not as such recognized in the proposed uh, mifi-2 amendments so what i would wish for that every every investor is getting asked a simple question do we want to contribute to solving societal problems to with your investment in which problems you want to contribute to solve that's currently, as the MIFI-2 is not formulated the amendment, the proposed amendment, that's not in. Investors investor has to be get asked whether it want Article 8, 9, or taxonomy alignment, and probably negative adverse impact. But I think we need some more simple questions. We need to drill on what do investors actually want. And all kinds of retail investors, but also potentially pension fund beneficiaries should get asked these questions. Then there needs to be a mechanism to, to ensure that once a, a client states a pref- an objective that actually is reflected by products, but I think that's the direction we need to move. So creating a market that competes for investor impact.
1: But I think that's 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 an interesting point you raise because if we uh, if we if we stick to that point and follow that that the logical reasoning a, a little bit, I think. One of the main challenges I think we we see is that you, of course, you know, for many I think retail investors there will always be you know the need to have some adequate performance uh, products that are diversified and liquid. That's often the the expectations from regulators for you know legitimate investor protection concerns. But equally, there is this notion that a lot of people want to have this impact when they kind of uh, invest sustainably, uh, which at this stage seems easier to demonstrate in certain asset classes which are not always suitable for i would say retail investors so my question is you know isn't the biggest challenge you know in a way that we need to solve is is how do we start assessing or looking at how those products that satisfy those liquidity and risk diversion requirements what kind of impact they can claim or not but kind of ma- managing those expectations i would say
2: yeah, certainly it, it, it's a huge challenge kind of to how to assess the impact of existing products. But I think an equally large challenge is how to talk with clients about impact. And I think advisors have a huge role to play in, in, in this entire thing. So what what I think what should happen is that if an go, investor goes to his asset manager, to his bank, advisors should lead a qualified and a good Conversation on different objectives. And as you mentioned, most retail investors, they will need a lot of certainty, a low level of risk, high level of liquidity. But that's not their only goal. So they may also have, want to have impact or value alignment. So it, it's important to have a discussions how do personal values look like? And on this direction, we often see kind of a certain set of values being imposed on investors. So I think we need way more individualization here. And personalized ETFs, for example, are. A, a great option to do so, but then also a discussion around, I mean, do you want to have impact and how could that look like and what are your financial targets and finding the sweet spot in there. So, and, and helping investors to find exactly the types of investments that match all these three components. For example, if you take a retail investor, we cannot no advisor that saying should recommend everything to be invested in risky infrastructure in an uh, in emerging market or developing country. But it may satisfy some of the demands of an investor. So for example, it could an advisor could advise to take a small part of the portfolio, use it for more risky investment with a high potential to generate tangible impact, for example, of climate change, but then make sure that a sufficiently large portfolio goes into relatively cheap, liquid, and stable products that fulfill the financial needs, but also reflect um, some moral beliefs that can be achieved without sacrificing a lot of return or or, or risk um, trade-offs on these grounds. So I think that's why we sh- where we should aim to have kind of to have connect what investors want, but especially with retails not in necessary in detail, understand to full extent how it all works. That's why we have consumer protection, why we have all this regulation to provide frameworks, how advisors can talk with with their clients, provide them with the optimal um, investment portfolio, fulfilling all the objective an investor has. On, on, really on a common sense level, and not on, on a too technical level, of what investors want. So, Florian, I'm
1: I'm, I'm hearing a, a call to industry to 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 pick up the mantle of innovation and, and, and design kind of new products. Is that is that right?
2: Certainly, um, I think my vision is twofold. Kind of have really think about how to structure conversations with clients on on figuring out what their objectives are beyond risk and return and. I think it's good that MIFID, for example, takes up this issue, but if it's not enough in the way MIFID is written, it won't lead to satisfying conversation really solving that issue. And then innovation, certainly on, 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 on how to come up with products that actually satisfy this demand. And I think that's my belief. If you really take investors' objectives seriously, you have a huge demand for products that really create tangible, um, impact in the world and really make a substantial contribution way beyond what the industry realizes right now and delivers right now. And I think it's also huge business potential. So to come up with, with, with all kinds of innovative products, why shouldn't retail investors, for example, not play a more important role in to blend the finance? I mean, we need a lot of private capital that flows into in, all these grand challenges. But then we need to be able to match it in, into good portfolios, into good products that also fulfill other objectives and, uh, on, on risk return.
1: Maybe quick, uh, maybe quick question. You mentioned blended finance and indeed kind of targeting. I think blended finance is usually deployed in the you know, in infrastructure sector, or at least there's an opportunity there to deploy it in the infrastructure sector, which uh, you know, to make the circle round at the beginning of the podcast, we identified that as one of the major issues that we need to tackle. Wouldn't pension money with long-term cycle be an ideal kind of source of funding for those vehicles? Certainly,
2: yeah. I think also there is a lot of potential, but then I think there we need to have a good discussion about fiduciary duty. What what is How should pension funds um, take into consideration other objectives as just providing as good pensions as possible? Should they also care about how the world looks like where <laughs> the beneficiaries will live in 30, 40 years or even their children? And I think there, again, a simple solution is, first of all, ask beneficiaries. On their objectives, and 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 then base 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 portfolios based on, on on a broader set of objectives. And as you mentioned, I mean that that's about the, the benefit of of pension funds. They they have this long time horizon. They they're really qualified institutional investors, so they could play a much stronger role once they realize this demand and, and and take it seriously for impact to provide capital to vehicles that are maybe more complex, like blended finance vehicles, but really push uh, the scale of of change we need for example in, in in infrastructure in emerging markets together with state actors that's that's the beauty of, of blended finance that it combines uh, public money and private monies in ways where every part gets what they actually need and the world gets as much outcome as as we need but i think there mainly translation work is necessary bringing these two worlds together and then creating products that are attractive and, and, and sellable beyond some very specific types of investors, as you mentioned, to, to, to pension funds and, and, and more broad set of investors.
1: Well, thank you, Florian. That's a very, you know very inspirational words to finish off our, our podcast today. And you know, f- f- thanks for bearing with me. I took you on a slightly different path than we had uh, agreed before, but it was uh, I think it led to a great conversation. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you, and it's been a pleasure also uh, seeing all the research that that, that you guys are producing. Uh, and we will definitely hope to invite uh, you and your colleagues back on on the future episodes uh, to to see. What in what new insights you can share with us
2: yeah. thanks a lot victoria it was a pleasure discussing looking forward to to this podcast and all the future episodes
0: it brings us to the end of this insightful conversation and the end of today's episode thank you very much for listening Do not hesitate to like, follow and share this episode of Sustainability Bridges. Your receive will continue in the next episode to bridge the gap between the policymaking and the practice of sustainable investing with the help of distinguished guests. In the meantime, please visit our website and follow us on social media to stay tuned. See you next time for a new episode of Sustainability Bridges.